0: Well, good morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be speaking on prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and beginning in verse 5. Here in Matthew, as you're turning in your Bibles, we have our Lord teaching on what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So the idea of, a, of the kingdom of God is in play. This is the famous Sermon on the Mount, where He is giving really the manifesto of the kingdom of God. He is talking about what does God's kingdom look like and what does a man or a woman look like who is a citizen of the kingdom. And he's going to talk about various things, but I would like to drop into his instructions for you, if you're a citizen of that kingdom, to pray. For you to pray. For you to pray and for... For me to pray and for us to pray. And it's very appropriate, as Corey mentioned earlier, next week we are initiating a our annual week of prayer and fasting. And it, it doesn't mean, if you're a guest, that we only pray one week a year. No, we we pray every day. But we are, we are seeking to emphasize a season of prayer and fasting. And at the end of this service, we're going to have a, a, a very practical application of that. But I just want to alert you. That praying and fasting, actually, praying, fasting, and giving are practices of a godly citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus talks about them right here in this chapter 6. We're going to focus on prayer, but he talks about all three. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. Okay, So let's just drop into verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And let us read here what our Lord says to us as citizens of the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, so notice he's assuming that you're praying. In a sense, he's commanding us to pray. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And I just want to highlight something before we really look at the Lord's Prayer. I want to highlight to you this term, you pray to your Father who is in secret. When you read that, what you can read here is the proper motive for prayer. The proper motive for prayer. Some people were praying back then to impress others. Those were the hypocrites. Jesus says, no, no. When you pray, here's the right motive. Pray to your father in secret. Pray to your father in secret. And then the second line there, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here, we're looking at the proper motivation for prayer. It is entirely appropriate for you to be motivated by the reward that God offers you in prayer. That is appropriate. That is a very appropriate motivation. So what you have here is you have the right motive, pray to your Father who is in secret, and you have the right motivation, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's this great scripture that I love so very much. And you could just write this down at the at the top of your notes, if you have notes there. You just write this scripture down. Hebrews 11, 6. Hebrews 11.6 it deals with this idea of motive and motivation but look at Hebrews 11.6 and I believe they're going to show it up there 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 you go Hebrews 11.6 and without faith it is impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him so notice why do we not pray? it's ultimately a faith problem really we live as practical atheists. If I'm going to make it, even in my Christian life, it's going to be up to me. I mean, in one sense, we almost live as if God doesn't exist. Or if he exists, he's this God that wound the universe and set it down and walked away. And it just runs according to his laws. But he's not really there. So what Hebrews tells us is, we, we can't please him without faith. And faith says, God exists, therefore I'm going to draw near to him, and look at this. And he rewards those who seek him. So, so it's it's right to be motivated by the fact that God says, you seek me, I will reward you. Do you see that? I think that's important to see. That's why we must build up our faith. We must build up our faith. That's why it's a fight of faith, is it not? Because Satan comes along and he says, I don't see God anywhere. Where was God in Haiti? Where was God when you were diagnosed with cancer? Where was God when you lost your job? Where was God when your child rebelled and broke your heart? He's not here. You're an idiot. And we believe it. And we may not believe it totally, but we believe enough to just to back off a little. Okay? So this morning, thank you for being here because you're hearing truth so that you can press in to God because he does exist, my friend. And he rewards those who seek him. Okay? All right, back to Matthew. Let's now go to Matthew 6, 7, and 8. We're, we're preparing here the way to really into our, our main text, the Lord's Prayer. But look what Matthew 6, 6, 7, and 8 says. And when you pray, so notice in Matthew 6, 5, he says, and when you pray, assuming you're going to pray, And now this next little section, sort of a a grammatical marker, verse 7, and when you pray, here's another thing you need to be aware of when you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Wow. Our hope, isn't that we'll remember everything we need and bring it to God. Our hope is that our Father in Heaven knows what we need before we ask Him. Therefore, when we come, we're not coming to a reluctant God, a reluctant Father, a stingy God. We're coming to a God who knows us and knows what we need before we ask Him. Now that begs the question, at least it does in my mind, so why pray? If God already knows what I need before I ask Him, why pray? Here's why. Because Jesus commanded us to pray. Because in verse 9, what is Jesus saying? Now this comes to the very text of our message. It should be there at the head of your notes. Jesus says this, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Why pray? Because God says pray. Even though he already knows what you need before you pray, but praying communicates to him your dependence, your love, your, your faith. And he loves that. And it honors Him. So why pray? Because He prayed. Why pray? Because He commands us to pray. So now let's look at how we're to pray. It's clear. Our motive is for God not to impress others. Our motivation is He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Our comfort and our hope is He already knows what we need before we come to Him. So let's go and let's pray. Pray then like this. And then here is our Father. This prayer that so many of us have prayed many times, have we not? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is verse 9, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I want to do something as, as I've read our main text, I'd like to pray. Because God knows that I need this, but I'm going to ask him for the help to pray. And God knows that you need this, and I'm going to ask him for the help for you to listen with faith, with a good motivation. Not to condemn you if you haven't prayed, because all of us, if I were to ask, who hasn't prayed like they want to or should, we would all raise our hand right now, okay? Okay. but So it's not about condemning you. It's about encouraging you and motivating you by grace. So can I pray that? All right, join me. Bow your head. I'm just going to pray. Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for adopting us as your sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, for the ability to preach this message in a way that is compelling and memorable, but more importantly, in a way that brings what you want to say to this congregation particular congregation this morning through this passage and I pray that my friends would hear this in such a way as it would convict any sin of unbelief that has kept them from prayer but it would not condemn them father but it would bring faith and grace motivated obedience to pray that we'd be a praying church not just next week in our special week of prayer and fasting but every day, that you might be glorified. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. The strong Son of God, our Savior, our champion. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Pray then like this. It's the main point of this passage. Pray then like this. That is that is the, the theme of this passage. That is what God is saying to us. Like what, Al? <clears throat> well, if you look in your notes, firstly, looking at verse 9a, <clears throat> We pray to God, our Heavenly Father. As it says here in the English Standard Version, our Father in Heaven. Here what's in play is God's transcendence. That's a fancy word for God being way out there. Totally other than us. In a sense, foreign to us. He is transcendent. We cannot understand Him. He is different from us. But also, God's imminence. He's here with us. So here we have... A father, comforting, in heaven, transcendent. He's both and. He is our father in heaven, which means that he's sovereign. It means that he's over all. It means that he's the creator of the universe. And yet, he's our father. He's adopted us. You came from heaven to earth. Speaking of Jesus, we sang that this morning. You came from heaven to earth. Why? To not just redeem us, but to adopt us and to put in us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Corey, for preaching that so well several weeks ago from the Gospel of John. So he's our Father in heaven. And he puts the Spirit in us. And he tells us then to approach him as our heavenly Father. Oh, friends, let us run to him in faith. Let us run to him and say, here we are, Father. We have faith that you are indeed our Father. And may I say this, if you are here this morning and you do not have faith for that, you do not have any assurance that he's your heavenly Father, you would not be enjoying the good and the peace that comes to you through Christ and repenting and obeying him for salvation, then here is his appeal to you. Quite apart from this message, but this is his appeal to you. Repent. Repent of your ways and come to Christ who has died for your sins risen from the dead ascended into heaven and is your peace with God the Father and will adopt you because he didn't just come to redeem us he came to adopt us both and so he's our heavenly father so that's how we start our father in heaven next how do we pray? pray like this next we pray that God's name be kept holy, that his name be glorified. Look at verse 9b. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is just sort of an, an old English word for holy. May your name be holy. So what does God's name represent? Well, that represents who God is. My daughter is pregnant with our first grandchild, and so we, had, we were laughing last Monday around the table for thinking of all the, the, the meanings of names. Have you, have you ever looked at a name book? Just some of the most weird things. Oh, we can't use that name. You know, it means, you know, son of a donkey or something. I don't know. And, you know, it's like, no, we're not going to use that one. You know, it means you're a short one who, you know, mows the lawn or something. I don't know. And it's just like, it's like, who comes up with this stuff? You know? It's like, <laughs> I think people are just messing with us, okay, quite frankly. But, it is true, okay, that your name, particularly, particularly in the biblical times, your name really did mean something. Unlike in our day, we just sort of choose whatever sounds cool. But it really did mean something. And definitely, specifically, in this text, God's name being hallowed means recognizing and honoring God for who He is. You see, His name is important in Scripture. I think Corey alluded to this. Actually, I think... Uh, Wally alluded to this when he spoke of Jehovah in this Exodus 34 passage. When when you look at how God reveals himself to us, he says, here's my name. This is who I am. Now, there are names for God. It would be a great study and a great sermon series. But, But in essence, what it's saying here is, honor me for who I am. Respect me, reference me for who I am. We are to pray that God's name would be honored and God's name would be respected for who he is. That in essence, we would join Jesus in his prayer when he prayed in John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. You see, it's so appropriate for Jesus to pray this because Jesus glorified God's name by revealing what? Who God is. So do you see that, that one of the names of God is Jesus Christ? Lamb of God. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus came to reveal God. Jesus came to image God. He he came to say, this is who I, this is God, this is God, reverence, reverence God. And so Christians bow their knee to the name of God. They bow their knee to the name of Jesus. In fact, you, you might not know this, but praying this, Hallowed be your name, don't just blow through that one. That's not like the introduction to the prayer. Let's get to the main point. No, this is the prayer. Do you see there's an aspect of it that's eschatological? That's just a fancy word for end times. It's just a fancy word for the day Jesus comes back and splits these blue skies wide open, and bam, we are all face to face, every one of us with God, and stand before his judgment seat. That prayer is anticipating, longing for, and desiring The day that every knee would bow, Philippians 2.10, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the very one that became a servant for us and obeyed God fully and perfectly by dying on the cross and rising from the dead and ascending into heaven. That day is anticipated in this prayer. So in in the Lord's prayer, it's a rich prayer. You've got this eschatological, one day, Lord, may your name be hallowed. But you also have Not only a that day aspect, eschatological, end time, but you have a present time aspect. Because you need to honor the Lord today for who he is, dear Christian. You represent God's name to this culture. Scary, isn't it? Hence, Christian, (laughs) right? notice Christ is in there one who bears the image of Christ one who would say to the world Jesus looks like this husbands do you know that in your marriage you represent Christ as your wife represents the church so the world looks at how you treat her and says oh that's how Jesus treats the church that's serious stuff isn't it my friend It's much more than about your happiness and getting what you want. It's about glorifying God. But don't you see? This is the very purpose for which man was made. When I say man, that's generic. Man and woman. We're back now to the very essence. This prayer captures the very essence of of all humanity and history. God created man to image him. God created them, male and female, to image him. That he might be glorified. The very beginning of the book. The very beginning. And then it was corrupted through the fall. And now, all through the Bible, and all through history, what God is doing is redeeming us so that we might, in a better way, image him to the world. So when you pray this, you know what you're praying? Part of what you're praying? Lord, may I honor your name as I represent you to others. Your wisdom, your kindness, your mercy your purity, your holiness. So do you see the profundity of praying this? It is profound. It begins with God, but it certainly moves to us. Okay? So we want to pray that his name would be treated as holy and we would never bring in a reproach to his name, that his name would not be despised, it would not be cursed, but it would be blessed. Now, next. How do we pray when it says pray then like this? We'll look at verse 10. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the tie-in with hallowed be your name? Here's the tie-in. How is God's kingdom represented on earth? Well, it's represented by his rule over all things. He He is the ruler of all. But it's represented by his rule in your life. God's kingdom is seen by those his subjects his citizens who live by his rules. So if you live in the kingdom of God that means you're living by his rules. Do you see that? So when you pray your kingdom come your will be done there is a very definite this that this day present day component am I living under the rules and the authority of the king Jesus. But let's just put a pause on that finger And let's just point all the way to the end, that day. This day, that day. Present day, end day. We're also praying, Lord, may the day come when your kingdom is consummated. In other words, where the kingdom of God, which appeared in Christ appears in your life and mine not in any way comprehensively because none of us obeys him perfectly. Oftentimes we're rebels that don't live like citizens of the kingdom. But it's there for people to see. May, May we see the day when it comes completely. Again, I reference the day Jesus will split the skies wide open and he will return a second time. So there's this eschatological that day component, end time component, and there's this present time this day component to the prayer. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is both and. We dare not miss one or the other. We dare not. Just like we dare not miss, he's transcendent, but he's father. We want to pray for that day, but also today. See, we want to pray that more and more people come under the kingdom of God, the reign of God, that God's will be done, that as his gospel is preached, people are coming under the reign. Thy kingdom come to my neighbor. Thy kingdom come to my friend at work. Thy kingdom come to my family member who is living as a rebel outside the kingdom. Oh God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But then, but then that prayer takes on a very personal nature as we find out that a family member is being diagnosed with a with, with a, a mortal uh, disease. We find out that one of our friends in Haiti has been crushed to death, or we find out that a family member has has just brought great grief, or we find out that we've lost our job, and we're on our face, and we say, oh God, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. You see, this is all tied together, but referencing back to his name being hallowed, some very wise theologians many, many years ago wrote something called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It would be great for you to study. It's a wonderful confession of faith. Westminster Confession of Faith. And the first question in this sort of, the way they would teach theology would be question and answer. They, they ask, what is man's chief end? In other words, in modern language, what's our purpose? Everybody's asking that. What am I here for? What's my purpose? And here was the, here was the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Very biblical. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So now back to this verse 10. When I pray, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done in my life. I am saying, oh Lord, it's not about my glory or my preference. It is about your glory, your preference. May I hallow your name. May I represent you well because Jesus... Jesus, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh Father, I want your name to be hallowed, and that's what you look like. And now, it's my turn to suffer and obey no matter what. May I not disgrace your name. Hallowed be your name tomorrow at work when I get fired. Hallowed be your name at the hospital when I get the diagnosis. Hallowed be your name when I get the financial news. Hallowed be your name when I'm spoken against. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not mine. You could pray this prayer every day of your life and not get to the bottom of it. Because every day, these things, the application will change. You see that? All right. How then do we pray? Pray then like this. Look at verse 11. We pray for our daily provision. We pray for our daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh dear friends, we must acknowledge our dependence upon God for everything. There's this great passage in Acts 17.28. It says, In Him we live and move and have our being. You can just jot down there Acts 17.28. It's a great one to look at next. Acts 17.28, or not next, but later on today when you're studying this. Acts 17.28, in him we live and move and have our being. We're to commit our needs to God in prayer in such a way that we're not anxious. As a matter of fact, look at verse 25 of Matthew 6. Just a couple of verses later. Jesus continues this theme, actually, with a very specific command. And the, the, Matthew 6 ends really with this whole command. Look at Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now can we relate to this? Can we relate to this when the foreclosure notice is in the mail? Can we relate to this when we're doing a short sale on our house, the house of our dreams? Can we relate to this when we find out that our company is downsizing and they're moving to like, you know, backwoods Tennessee because it's cheaper there and we got to either move there or we lose the job or some of us don't even have the option that's it you're gone by March the 5th that's your last day we'll give you like four seconds severance pay that's it you're gone so at that moment at that moment this prayer oftentimes really does come to us doesn't it I mean because we've prayed this so many times haven't we many of us particularly if you grew up in certain religious traditions you're praying this thing all the time you do something wrong you're praying a couple of these right and a couple of other things. You know what I'm saying? Okay. You're flying through them as fast as you can, but you, this is like your little, you know, you just like your little, you know, beads that you're rubbing to just make sure you get okay with someone. <laughs> but, but seriously now, as people who understand what this is saying, what we're praying here is, God, I am not self sufficient in an economic downturn. Father, this morning, I pray. Give me this day. It doesn't say, give me the bread for five days from now. In fact, many people say this really references the whole idea of Israel in the desert. They had manna for one day. You couldn't hoard the manna. You couldn't store it up. It rotted if you did that. Every day I've got to wake up and say, I don't trust my job. I don't trust this economy. I don't trust the nation. I don't trust anything but you. And you today are my daily bread. That's what this is praying. And you know, I just sense something right now. For some of you, this may be more than just a nice little sermon point. For some of you, you're saying, oh my, I, I'm really wavering here. I've got someone whispering in my ear saying, there's no God. Where's God? You're three months late on your, on your mortgage payment. You're losing your job. And you've got that, you know, you've got that, perhaps you, you have an illness that's just a chronic illness that you need medicine for. And you're just, you've got voices. You, you, you're going to be ruined. Your family's going to be ruined. And you just need to pray this prayer. Oh God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Father in heaven, You're sovereign. Now, give me this day my daily bread. Okay? I think that's for some of you this morning. May the Lord bless his word to you. Okay, pray like this. How do we pray? Next. Probably our greatest need, friends. Our greatest need is captured in verse 12. We do need to eat. I understand that. But our greatest need eternally is this one. We pray for our sins to be forgiven as we daily confess and repent. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Daily we must run to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Dear Christian friend, repentance, confession, and repentance are a daily thing with us. Again, from some religious traditions, that may sound you know, remind you of some things. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you and the Lord in your prayer closet, in your time of of seeking the Lord, whenever it is you do that. It can include other people who would bring to your attention things in your life, and you should be asking for that, things that you need to repent of, sins that you're not aware of. But this is primarily talking about, I am going to seek God every day. And I'm going to let His Word reveal to me where i need to confess and repent and when i do he's going to forgive me because he's my father again a scripture i love i love this scripture you can jot this down is hebrews 4 14 to 16 hebrews 4 14 to 16 i believe they're going to show this on the on the screen here hebrews 4 14 to 16 it says this since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Do you see that, that whole theme of drawing near, coming to the Lord with confidence, by faith, Heavenly Father. This, this whole idea, adoption, what, the, the work of Christ. Let us draw near then with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. Mercy. This is what Wally was talking about in that Psalm 25 song. And find what? Grace to help win in time of need. To help when I, as a citizen of the kingdom, break the laws of the kingdom and act like a reprobate. And do not, and do not hallow his name, but desecrate his name. And at that moment, the king comes to me because he loves me. Because he's not only my king, but he's my father. And he says, son, here's my discipline. Because sons and daughters are disciplined. Illegitimate children are not. And then I repent. I say, oh, Father, thank you for showing me that my bad attitude toward my daughter yesterday as I was doing marriage counseling, premarital counseling with her and her fiancé. Yes, don't look at me so religiously. I sinned against my daughter yesterday in a counseling session. I, the pastor of the church... (laughs) Because I was worried about, you know what I was worried about? Yeah? It's tough when you're the dad and you're the pastor, okay? But actually, it's a, it's a privilege that they asked me to do the counseling. But in a moment, I, I heard something, and my, you know how your face gets that look, you know, it's like, or however yours is, it's like, uh-oh, something's not right in here. And I said a few things, and, and I just, afterward, I went, ah, and you know, and my daughter walked out with her fiance, and my wife looked at me, and I looked at her, and I said, I sinned, didn't I? She goes, yeah, you did. Oh, I hate that do that. I, I, I desecrated the name of God. I didn't hallow God's name in that moment. And I was able to go to her and say, oh, sweetheart, please forgive me. This is what I was worried about. You didn't know about this. And this is what I was a little annoyed at. <laughs> let me tell you what it is. And and, and and it's only because I'm serving me and not the Lord. And and let me, I repent, sweetie. You fr- and she forgave me. And, I mean, it was wonderful. But, but guys... Verse 12, we need every day. I Every day I need to confess and repent. Now here's the deal with verse 12 that's a little dicey. Okay? Because so far we're all feeling real good, you know? Hebrews 4, that's great. But Jesus in his wonderful care for us throws in something that makes us a little uncomfortable. And he did it on purpose. So guess what, folks? I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable. Okay? Because he's making us uncomfortable. Did you notice that verse 12 ends in a rather funny way? right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in case you missed that, why don't you just let your eyes go down to verse 14 of chapter 6, Matthew 6:14, 6, And he will go ahead and say it right out for you to really understand what he's saying. If you forgive others their trespasses, that's just a fancy word for sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I can can tell you a lot of things about this verse, and I will tell you some. I can tell you this. If you are elect and you are saved by God's sovereign grace, you are saved, period. And that means your sins are forgiven. I can tell you that. Um, I can tell you this as well. If you are saved and know the forgiveness of God in Christ, you will forgive others. See, I, think, I think that's the, the emphasis of this verse. It's actually describing a citizen. Okay? It is not giving you one of these clauses that says, if you don't forgive, somehow you're going to lose your salvation and you won't be forgiven. I don't believe Scripture teaches that. I believe once God chooses us, elects us, sovereignly saves us, we are saved. But it's here... And it makes us all nervous, doesn't it? And it should. If you're a Christian and you are sitting there asking God to forgive you of your sins, and you are holding unforgiveness in your heart toward God, you are not acting as the son or daughter of the most high God. You're not acting as a a citizen of the kingdom. And what you're doing, you might as well be praying, Father, do not forgive my sins. So what is the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Remember who you are. Take a look at Jesus crucified for you. Remember how much he forgave you. And go ahead and act like who you are, which is a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and forgive. And forgive. And forgive. That's what that is saying. It's not a free card for you to get your forgiveness while you hold someone else. And refuse to forgive them. You cannot ask God to forgive you your debt. While you've got your hands around the neck. Of someone who sinned against you. Refusing to forgive theirs. But you know what? That's not who you are. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You know the forgiveness of God. So go ahead and repent. Now we're back to the confessing and repenting. And forgive that other person. And for some of you. You need to go do that today. You need to go do that today. Alright. Okay. That was exciting. Appreciate everybody's look right there. Now we come to verses 13, A and B. Verse 13, A and B. The final aspect of this prayer. How do we pray? This is how you pray. Look at verse 13. Rather odd. Again, this is something we've got to really study here. And lead us not into temptation. Wait a second. I thought the Bible says that God cannot lead us into temptation. That is correct. Now, done some study on this. I am not a Greek scholar, but this Greek word that is translated temptation can also very adequately and correctly be translated testing. Testing. So while God does not tempt us, He clearly allows us to be tested. There's all kinds of scriptures talking about that. And so, really, what... The Lord, I think, is saying here to us is that as human beings in a fallen world, living in a place where many, many tests come. Our dear sister here, Dasty, was just telling me about her family members in Haiti, who, some of whom are fine, some of whom she still hasn't heard from. They're not immediate family. And also I have a pastor friend named Daniel Alex who was just giving us an email update that several pastor friends of his lost children in the earthquake. So I would say that's a test. But I know God is good, and God never does evil, and yet God is sovereign. And so, don't we have a bit of a problem here as finite creatures, don't we? How can a good God who's sovereign allow this? I can't answer that fully, but I can point you to some place that reveals this good God. That's the cross where he died for you. So I look at this suffering through the prism of our Heavenly Father sending his Son to die on a cross for me, and then I see this Son telling me to pray this way. And then I look for good teachers to help me understand it. And I've provided you with one in your notes who says it better than I can. And so this is a way to pray this, and this is certainly a way I would encourage you to pray this. Look what Mr. J.C. Ryle tells us, wonderful commentator of the Word of God. He says this, It, verse 13a, which I just read, and lead us not into temptation, teaches us that we are liable at all times to be led astray and fall." It instructs us to confess our infirmity and beseech or ask God to hold us up and not allow us to run into sin. I love that. That, Lord, don't let me run into sin. Not fall into sin. We didn't fall into sin. We run into sin. We ask Him, because He told us to, who orders all things in heaven and earth, remember He's the Father in heaven, to restrain us from going into that which would injure our souls. That's a great prayer to pray every day of your life. And never to allow us to be tempted above that which we are able to bear. And then this scripture that J.C. Rowell um, cites there, 1 Corinthians 10.13, it's a great passage. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. I love this. The Apostle Paul writing, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says this, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Maybe Paul was thinking of the Lord's Prayer when he wrote this here. Perhaps, there, there, I think there is a connection here. We pray to the Father who won't allow us. He says, go ahead, I know what you need, but pray to me that you wouldn't be. Okay, I'm going to pray. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. it. So, what does this mean? It means we depend on God for the grace to not run into sin, and to pass the tests. And we, and the stuff that we don't understand, we interpret through the, the prism of the cross of Christ. Now, that's a profound, I think, mature faith. One which many, many men and women in Haiti are practicing. And I just had the privilege of returning from Cuba. And men and women in Cuba, I see practice all the time. Because there's tons of stuff that happens. You just scratch your head and say, What? Why? And you just pray. Father, lead us not into temptation. And then the end of the prayer, But deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. That word evil can also include evil one, evil one, deliver us from evil. And again, JC Rao helps us so much, the quote there in your notes. We are here taught to ask God to deliver us from the evil that is in the world, the evil that is within our own hearts, and not least from that evil one, the devil. Now let me just stop for a second and say this. What I love about this is it has it has a profound doctrine of sin. And, a, and an anthropology in a sense a, a, a doctrine of, of man who man is Okay, and, and it has a, certainly a profound doctrine of who God is so notice what we're to pray for there's three enemies, three traditional enemies of the Christian Okay, the world and its system my own flesh that part of remaining sin we're, we're delivered from the power of sin but not its presence Okay, there's a lot in the New Testament that talks about that particularly in the epistles and then of course Satan Three traditional enemies of the believer. So when you're praying, deliver us from evil or the evil one, you are praying in a sense, Lord, deliver me from the evil that's in this fallen world. Earthquakes happen. Illnesses happen. Economic downturns happen. Help, deliver me, Father. Father, deliver me from the evil that, that, that often betrays me, the enemy within the flesh that's lying to me and, and, lead, and wanting me to go down paths that I shouldn't go. I'm free. I'm no longer a slave to that. The power of it has been broken, but its presence is still tempting me. And then, Lord, deliver me from Satan and, and, and the evil one. We can pray that. Sometimes we so focus on these two that we forget about this one. Jesus, I believe, told us to pray that. Why? How can I say that? Because, if you'll notice the scripture that J.C. Ryle uh, cites here in this quote, it's it's that scripture that Cory preached on about a couple of weeks ago, John seventeen fifteen. Really the Lord's prayer. You know, that John seventeen is the Lord's prayer. This is really the disciples' prayer that the Lord taught us. We call this the Lord's Prayer. But if you want to go to the Lord's prayer, you go to John seventeen. And what did he say in John seventeen fifteen? Jesus praying for you and for me, praying for believers. He says this I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's praying to his father, but what? that you keep them from whom? The evil one. So Jesus prayed that. That prayer reverberates down through history. And then Jesus instructs you and me to pray, Father, keep me from the evil. Keep me from the evil one that would love to attack you, destroy your marriage. And he would attack you through the very fleshly lust that might be in you, guys. Or he would attack you, ladies, through some bitterness towards your husband. And keep me from a world that is evil, that is constantly tempting me. Keep me, Father. I think that's a prayer we should pray every day of our lives. I believe the Lord has taught us that. So what's the application, dear friends? Here's the application. If you would turn your notes over. I would invite you to read this at your at your leisure this night. I would invite you to fold this up and put it in your Bible as a prayer guide this week. The application is that we pray. Jesus said, pray like this. You have here our mission statement at the beginning of this um, prayer guide Jesus Christ is the gospel we worship him, we image him, we proclaim him you see here emphases on each day of the week that we will be setting aside for prayer and fasting Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night we're having a church wide prayer meeting at the Fabregas home, Thursday and then Friday let me conclude with this I didn't have time to preach on fasting. Don't think it would be appropriate now to preach a whole message on fasting. But if you, if you read right after this injunction to pray, Jesus says fast. A couple of words of wisdom for you. Fasting, in this sense, primarily deals with you going without food. Going without food. Okay? Uh, if you have never done this, if you have a physical health problem if you have a condition that would just it would not be wise for you to fast please be advised you know be very careful here i would even say you know consult your physician but if you're like most of us ah, the only thing you have is just your flesh doesn't want to go without food for a few days let me encourage you fasting is not a way to gain god's approval you had that in christ fasting is a means of grace that jesus says as believers as citizens of the kingdom, we can engage in. Let me give you a couple of suggestions. Um, you can fast in different ways. Some of you might want to fast one meal a day—lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever. And here's the deal: we fast so we can pray more. If you fast without seeking the Lord or praying, that's called asceticism. It's, it's just—it's just a fancy word for a religious practice. You're trying to get something from God by beating your body somehow, denying your body. It's, it, it's not what Jesus commends here, okay? Now, we're fasting so we could take that time that we normally eat or prepare food and pray. That's all we're doing, okay? God loves you and gives you favor because of what Jesus did for you, not because you fast. But because he loves you and because you're his son or daughter, he says, hey, this is a, a practice that I commend to you. It will help you. It will. It, it will. Okay, it will bring glory to my name. So you might want to maybe go without a meal. All right, uh, some of you might want to just fast solid food. You, know, you just eat, drink, you know, whatever juices, whatever. Uh, and some, uh, I commend this practice. Actually, this is a practice that I would uh, commend because I've done it. So I'm not commending something I haven't done. Uh, you just say I'm going to drink water for you know whatever days. Okay, and you won't die. You will think you're dying, but you won't die. <laughs> you will feel like you're dying. <laughs> You will find out what's really in your heart on about day two, okay? Uh, But, listen to me. How do we begin this? What's the proper motive for all this? Do it to your father who sees in secret. Do it in secret. Does that mean we can't pray publicly or fast publicly or give publicly? That's not what it means. It doesn't. There's a time for public corporate fasting. There's a time for public prayer. We're going to have public prayer meetings. There's a time to give publicly. Now, what it means is, do it for the right motive. Don't do it to impress others. Do it to your Father, who is in heaven. Do you see that? Okay. So that's that's that about fasting. And uh, and what I just what I want to do is just I want to I want to close in a pastoral prayer right now. So would you bow your head? And then we're going to close together in a corporate prayer after that. But just bow your head. I'm going to close us in a pastoral prayer right now. and i'm just going to begin you can just keep your head closed your your head bowed and your eyes closed i'm just going to begin with the lord's prayer here i'm going to read it from the esv our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come father your name is hallowed your kingdom oh father would it come one day we look for that day our hope is in that day Oh, Father, may it come today in our lives that we would hallow your name, that we would treat your name with with the holiness and the respect and the reverence that it deserves, that we would represent you. May your kingdom come eschatologically. May it come to me today. May your will be done. Not my will, Father, but your will. You are my Father. On earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you know the needs represented in this church. You know the needs each one of us are facing. You know the needs of this church. Father, we pray. We pray for your daily bread, your provision. Oh, we depend on you. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Oh, thank you for the way that he's even grammatically stated. We have forgiven, Lord. We have forgiven our debtors. And therefore, therefore you forgive our debts because we we are bought by the blood of Jesus our debts have been forgiven therefore we forgive father if there's any bitterness in this auditorium if there's any unforgiveness oh father 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 even now reveal the great the great generosity that you have displayed toward us in Christ in forgiving us a debt we could never pay and may they whoever it is be convicted not condemned but convicted And may that conviction move them to acts of repentance and a phone call take place, an email be sent, perhaps a a one-on-one, face-to-face meeting and say, I forgive you. Please forgive me. As citizens of your kingdom. And Father, lead us not into temptation. Father, deliver us from evil. Oh God, our sins in the past have been forgiven. Our sins in the present have been forgiven. Father, keep us from any future sins. Father, You know You're sovereign. You know the tests that are coming tomorrow, perhaps for some in this congregation tonight, a phone call, a message, an email. Oh, God, God, deliver us. Give us the grace. We live in a fallen world. We're frail, easily, easily distracted and discouraged. Keep us. Oh, God, from the evil one who would destroy our lives, not because we're anything, but because he hates you and we belong to you. We carry your name. Deliver marriages from the evil one that are on the brink and there perhaps no one knows. Deliver teenagers who are on the brink of destruction. Oh, God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to close with this prayer. It's a prayer from a wonderful resource called the Valley of Vision. We have, I believe, one copy here. Uh, but I would encourage you to perhaps get this. It's called the Valley of Vision. And this prayer comes from the, the Valley of Vision. It's a, it's a song that we sing together. It's called, Oh Great God. And, and let's sing that song together. Let's, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Let's seek Him through singing this song. Wally, would you please lead us? Oh, great God.